You are now listening to the Gundog Notebook Podcast, hosted by Darrell Smith. Guys, this is your host, Darrell Smith. And we are in the studio with the Polished Ruger, and only the Polished Ruger, um, Mr. Vegas, Honeymoon in Vegas, for, for, for the long name. Uh, he's downstairs in my uh, in my kennel. I guess I, I should call it his kennel now. But uh, he's downstairs in the Dakota 283 G3 uh, Signature Line kennel. That was a lot, right? That sounded cool. But anywho, um, I wanted to go through a couple of announcements and kind of just give you guys an update on what's going on with me. Uh, Dakota 283 is actually sending me the Forever insert, which is not on the market right now. It's on the way. Um, I get a chance to sample it, guys. And the Forever insert is going to help me kind of compartmentalize the space in that uh, G3 kennel with Lil Vegas. Um, it's kind of big for him right now, and that's fine. It's a kennel that he's going to have for the rest of his life, and uh, it's his. He's going to own it. So look forward to some more reviews on the Forever insert, but I kind of wanted to... I know this is a Greg Cronkite episode, and he's a founder of Dakota 283, but I just kind of wanted to speak more extensively on this episode um, and just let you guys know that Greg's stories are awesome. He talks about some stories on Cronkite Farms in Dakota and, uh, and hunting in the Dakotas that'll blow your mind. That's definitely on my bucket list. Um, and I need to make my way up there this season. I don't know what y'all are doing, but y'all should definitely go visit Greg's uh, farm after this episode if it don't convince you to do so. I also want to thank Lion Country Supply for being so supportive. Uh, Eric Munden, again, special shout out to him, the Lion Country Supply staff, and, and the folks that really support what it is that I do. But I really want to encourage you guys to go ahead and get a spring training wish list together. Okay, get get a wish list together. It's going to help you know what your dog needs. If you got a new one, if you got one that's, you know, a veteran in the game. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, who doesn't like new supplies for their dog? I know all the supplies that they've sent me. I've already go ahead and gone ahead and put into use. I got a uh, little Vegas on the check cord on the puppy check cord today. He's at that point now. I'm trying to you know go ahead and encourage him to run ahead of me and um, you know just start to follow my my lead and kind of 
be aware of where I am in the field with a check cord. It was actually kind of fun to work with him today. He's still young, so my expectations are very low, honestly. But he's a very talented dog. So when your expectations are low, but you've got a dog that exceeds those expectations, what kind of bad day do you have in the field? You don't have one. I'm really proud of Vegas for that, and I can thank Dakota um, 283 and Lion Country Supply and the Pride Dog Food for supporting me in this new dog endeavor. The Pride Dog Food, man, I'm just so satisfied with the things that they're doing with their uh, puppy formula and being able to support you know, this little dog and, and making sure he's fed. So I just want to give a special thank you and a special shout out to them. So one more time for you, Dakota 283, Lion Country Supply, the Pride, the Pride Dog Food. <coughs> Excuse me. It's, it's, it's definitely something that is, uh, that's been working for us. Now, what I am upset about is this good old Georgia weather. <coughs> It, it It's going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I've been losing my voice. I've been doing this and been struggling trying to get these podcasts out to you guys. But nevertheless, I hope you guys are enjoying the episodes. <coughs> um, now, these are some of the things that I'm... I'm Going through as I'm training this little pup, this uh, little pointer pup. Vegas sight points. That's great. And the only reason I was doing that is just to get the engine motor, uh, the, uh, the the motor running. Put a little, a little little gas in the tank. Get them going. Some of you folks might not agree with the sight points. Some of y'all do. That's totally fine. You train your dog how you train them. I train my dog how I train them, and it's all good. But what I do appreciate is the good folks in this Upland community. Uh, and specifically, I want to shout out uh, Kellen Crow and Sarah Gomes for reaching out to me and just, just speaking with me about working on the early stages of this little, little bitty pup's point. In one of my videos, he was he was uh, we were doing a wing on a string and... Little pup sat down on me. Kind of threw me for a loop. That's fine. These guys reached out and, you know, were like, hey, maybe you just flick that wing one more time, but you don't want them to sit down. They were so kind and so gracious enough to uh, offer those insights. And that's what we're here for, guys. I am no genius and I am no expert on dogs. I just like to train my own. And if we continue to reach out and support each other, trust me, not only will your dog get better, but the community gets better. So I just wanted to thank uh, those folks for reaching out um, and just being as supportive as you are. And who don't like Lil Vegas? Ain't he cute? He's, he's a cool little dude. He is bad, though. He is so bad. He's a little firecracker, a little fireball. But I love him to death. Anywho, he's a great dog. I um, he's 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 I guess what I would consider a dream dog. He's L Hugh line, blah 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 blah. Nevertheless, I'm enjoying training with him. Um, I'm taking it slow, 
somebody that I actually really like the way that they're training their dogs is uh, Anthony Farrow. He's taking his time with them, with Lil Smoke. Um, and I'm, I'm waiting on this Fuego dog to get here too, but Anthony's been taking his time with Smoke and uh, clearly that dog is coming out all right. I also want to thank uh, Project Upland for supporting the podcast and up and uh, Orvis for supporting my writing. Like I said, I'm I'm in the final stages of editing and stuff like that for a new article. Um, I'm looking forward to submitting an article called um, I guess I've titled it a season past. That title is kind of TBA right now, but I'm thinking that's what we're gonna go for. So look forward to a uh, a new article there. Um, I know y'all haven't seen much writing from me as of recent, but I've really been thinking about something because this article is a little bit more introspective for me. So outside of that, guys, I hope you guys are going are gonna to enjoy this episode with Greg Cronkite. Make sure that you enter my promo code. That's capital TGDN 50DD for Dakota 283 Kennel full price and you'll get 50% off of the uh, any of the Dine and Dash products. Please make sure you do that, guys. Greg Cronkite, <laughs> that's my guy. I, I would definitely say that is my guy. He's a good dude. Um, and <laughs> he's making kennels better, better than anybody else on the market out here right now. So check him out, all right? And y'all enjoy this podcast. Stay tuned for another episode coming up in a second with Greg Cronkite of Dakota 283 Kennels. All right. All right, guys. Here's another episode, another really, really, really special episode uh, of the Gundog Notebook podcast. Of course, this is Darrell Smith. And in the room, in the studio, if you want to call it, we do have Ruger and Vegas in attendance. (laughs) And we also have Greg Cronkite. The special Greg Cronkite of the Dakota 283 Kennels. Greg, how are you, man? Doing great, Darrell. I I didn't know I was special. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are very special to us over here. (laughs) (laughs) Man, look, we love it. And uh, the kennel that you sent is, I mean, it's good and broke in. I'm going to tell you that now. Oh, awesome. That's great. That's great. Well, they, they can take a look, and so you just keep breaking it in. Okay. All right. I'm going to take you on that word. I mean, I, um, we, I've taken it to two, is it two trial, Nastra trials, and I put it on the road. It's done been rained on and got mud, all kind of stuff. So, <laughs> then had two dirty dogs in it. So, <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, what's, what's nice about, you know, what's nice about those crates is, you know, it's 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 linear low-density polyethylene. You just flip it over, hose it out the back hole that we have in the upper right-hand side, mm-hmm. and uh, you have a brand-new kennel again, you know? Just there you go. By hosing it out. There you go. So... And that's, I mean, that was one of the things that, and I know we'll get into the specifics of the kennels and stuff, but I do want to say um, early on when I was looking at uh, purchasing the Dakota 283 kennel, that was one of the special features that I really needed. (laughs) Right. Because, oh my, it is a pain to try to clean out a kennel. It is. Well, you're down, you're down in Georgia, right? Yes, sir. 
So I met my wife in <laughs> in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, she's a I, good woman. I, I lived I lived in Georgia for two years when I was out of college. Okay. And I remember hunting down there, and the red clay that you guys have down there. Oh at yeah. At least where I was hunting. Mm-hmm. I mean that stuff gets all over the place. And it does not come out. <laughs> No. <laughs> it does not come out. Well, first and foremost, your wife is phenomenal because you met her here. <laughs> and yep. Oh, she's, yep. Absolutely. Me and my wife are Atlanta natives. We are born and raised in Atlanta. And, you know, we just drive all over the place to go hunt and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Was she a... Uh... Was she a hunter before you met her, or is she uh, by default? No, she is. So my wife's not not a hunter per se. She is a a very very supportive wife. I'm gonna say that because she has been out trudging mud. I will say just a, a funny quick story. We actually this past season she um, went with me to go scouting for quail down in uh, in Camilla, Georgia. Well. I can say if she had not been with me, I would have been stuck there for another day. So it had Hurricane Michael had come through really bad and had messed. I mean, did some damage. And what happened was, of course, there was a lot of leftover water and and then, of course, really deep, thick mud. So we got to the WMA, I mean, before the sun came up. So I'm pulling up and... uh, I messed around and I couldn't I couldn't necessarily see that far ahead of me, but I was like, okay, I'm gonna go park just a little bit up, kind of get into the woods a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, come in and my my truck just sinks. I mean, just sinks into the mud to the point where I I can't I now can't get it out. Right. I'm it, like it's four-wheel drive, all of that stuff, nothing is working. And so, mm-hmm. well, my first thing was, well, we're stuck and we came here to hunt. So let's at least hunt for a couple of hours first and figure <laughs> this out later. She was like, okay, I guess we'll do that. So we were walking around. She took some pictures for me and she, you know, stuck it out with me. Well, because the hurricane had come, all of the support, like your track, your tra- your um, tow trucks and trailers and all of that stuff, they were out doing, helping other folks. So right. no cops, nobody could help us. And my wife got down with me, hands and knees and pulling twigs and branches and stuffing them up under the tires to help me get that big old truck out. She she earned her uh, her, her stripes in my book that day. <laughs> wow, that is mm-hmm. that's dedication, man. Mm-hmm. Must be something. Yeah, I mean, I look, <laughs> I, even her mom was like... <laughs> her mom was like she did what <laughs> yeah i've been there i'll tell you i went to uh you know i i live half my year in south dakota and i mm-hmm. live half my year in pennsylvania where the factory is mm-hmm. and um i was the last time i went to to south dakota was you know i go up there for the falls and first hour of my day i cruise around and go check the property out and see what, what kind of you know wildlife we have and what's mm-hmm. going on. And I was stuck within a half hour. What? I was stuck so deep. I was stuck so deep. Yeah, well, I, I did the stupid thing. You know, I saw a little little uh, ditch that had some water in it, but mm-hmm. it didn't look muddy. It just was grassy water. Mm-hmm. Well, I can get through that. Well, I forgot to put my truck into four-wheel drive. Mm-hmm. 
and there I was. <laughs> <laughs> that, truck, that truck, at least I was able to walk back to the farm. I couldn't get that truck out for two days. I had to wait for my buddy's big tractor, tractor to come out and pick it up. So mm-hmm. I know that is a, uh, that's a scary deal being like where you are getting mm-hmm. stuck in the middle of nowhere. Yep. You know, without mm-hmm. any help. I mean, you're you're really on your own. I mean, and that was that was the nervous thing. And I'm gonna add just a little a little extra sauce to that story. The next day, I had to be at work. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so then, and we were four hours away from the city of Atlanta. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so yeah, we. I mean, and and the thing is, I messed around and. I was like, all right. And I, I I didn't even have to ask, which is crazy. She was like, look, we need to get this truck out. So uh, <laughs> whatever, whatever it is, we going to get this done. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man. I, I'm impressed that, that she said, let's go hunt, you know, allowed you to hunt for two hours before you tackled that project. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> so awesome. I... I uh, I appreciate it. So I I definitely have to give her a shout out. She is like I said, not a a hunter, but she's you. Actually, what's crazy is she's watched me work my dogs enough. She can probably handle a dog better than I can. Okay. I I All would. Right. I mean, and I've seen her go out and handle Ruger like a like a a race car, like. I was like, huh? Cool. And she was like, yeah, I just watch you all the time. I was like, really? <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Man. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's it was. I actually, my my wife is not from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is from Pennsylvania, but she moved at a, as a young as I think a twelve year old. Uh, her family moved down to Baton Rouge. Okay. And lived. She lived in Louisiana through her childhood. After that. Okay. She actually uh, ended up going to LSU and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, really absorbed herself down in the South there. And mm-hmm. um, she's a lot of fun. You'll meet her at some point. Oh, I have to. So, yeah. speaking of meeting her, I definitely have to come up there. And I guess this is a good start to, you know, some of the stuff we wanted, we were talking about in the podcast. Cronkite Farm. Let's talk about that because I have to come up there. You know, I have to. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so probably, you know, the, the story kind of, I think maybe it'd be cool if we started from where I, where I started okay. uh, with, with the whole thing. And, you know, when I was uh, 10 years old, I lived in northern Illinois, mm-hmm. and um, my dad was from northern Minnesota and had a lot, I had a lot of family up in Minnesota. But we used to go to Iowa every year, and and we used to pheasant uh, hunt with my with my uh, my uncle out in uh, I call him my uncle. He's he's not really my uncle, but he feels like my uncle. Uh huh. He, he's that uncle that we all have. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, and so back in those days, now this is early seventies. Mm-hmm. We didn't even have dogs to go pheasant hunting, right? Right. Um, and and this is this is when Iowa and they still have pheasants and they, there's pockets of really good areas but this is when Iowa had a lot of pheasants okay it was it was like South Dakota is now okay right and and uh, they had no dogs so at ten years old I was allowed to go and I became the dog you know <laughs> I was the guy 
I'm telling you, was, <laughs> I was down in the in the sticker bushes, in the rose bushes, mm-hmm. kicking birds out, chasing birds. I was able to carry every bird. Um, my dad would, you know, after they shot something, would would give it to me and say, "Hey, Greg, come on out here, grab it." And then he said, "All right, get back in there." <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm getting, I'm bloody, and I say, "Come on, keep moving," you know. Right. And, it, and I had the time of my life. Okay, mm-hmm. it was abs- I was hooked after that, and absolutely had a great time. And uh, so then, you know, obviously the next year, I was able to take a a single shot shotgun mm-hmm. i can't remember if it was a moss i think it was a mossberg 20 gauge bolt action oh wow if you've ever seen those things <laughs> yeah I mean, I mean this really takes you back yeah i was I, i've never, never seen a gun, gun like that for a shot for a shotgun it's <laughs> it's pretty funny wow um yeah but uh so you know eventually after hunting in iowa for years um we ended up uh we, ended, we ran into it several years that were not very good. The bird population had really gone down. And, you know, it was all that uh, that whole fence row to fence row farming that started happening in the late 70s, mm-hmm. uh, early 80s, and all the habitat went away, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and when habitat goes away, so do, so do the birds. So do the birds. So, yeah. And uh, I learned that, that lesson very, very young. And uh, eventually... We said, let's go try South Dakota. We had heard South Dakota was was really good. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ended up hunting in South Dakota for, for years after that. Um, so I, we started hunting. I probably hunted South Dakota for the last 25 years or so. Wow. So that's how I was introduced to South Dakota for pheasant hunting. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so, and, and I mean, I hear, like, what it, so I know the Dakotas, you guys have like a, um, like a, you can only, you can hunt somewhere if it's, you can't hunt somewhere if it's posted, correct? But for the most part, you can, right. it's pretty much open? Yeah, well, it's it's pretty, not these days, so when we first started hunting South Dakota, mm-hmm. um, you could go up to a farm, you could knock on the door, talk to the farmer, and you got about a 50% chance of the guy saying, sure, go ahead and hunt. Right. You know? And this was... This was again thirty years, at least thirty years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now um, everything is posted. Uh, people, you know, it's turned into kind of a commercial operation for a lot of folks, and it's difficult to get permission to hunt. But South Dakota, you know, we've always been able to hunt and did for years. Um, all the roads in South Dakota, thirty-three feet from the center of the gravel road through the ditch to the fence row is public land. Okay. So, so you know, you end up being what's called a ditch hunter, right? You're right. So you'd, you'd get dropped off in a ditch, and then uh, the guy who dropped you off would go a mile up and park the car, and he'd keep walking the next ditch. You'd pick up the car and hopscotch him, and, and <laughs> you'd go. You'd go for miles like that, you know. Wow. And and it was cool. It was it was really cool. Okay. So, okay. That's that's actually pretty creative, actually, and it's a very good use of uh of ground coverage. <laughs> well, yeah, and and uh, what South Dakota's done now is we still have a decent amount of. CRP and public land hunting, mm-hmm. uh, but every year is so different. 
Um, we have a lot of public hunters that come out and hit this hit this ground. Uh, some of it's better than others, but you know, my buddy hunts exclusively public ground, and he gets his limit almost every time he goes out. That's, even, even now, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and I mean, and that really speaks to the land management, um, you know, out there. And I don't know, Greg. I mean, I know that industrialization and all of that stuff is happening and it's definitely killing a lot of habitat but i'm the type of person to say look if we still got a, a square foot of land to hunt i'm happy man like i yep. and you just got to hit it hard you got to make do with the spaces that you have what well you know what you know what it is i think there's a lot of people that are not willing to walk as hard as others mm-hmm. and so, like, my buddy will go out, and he will hunt. You know, he'll walk 10 miles to get his limit if he has to. Right. I mean, he, he's just a, a, a trooper. Not everybody can do that, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, not everybody can walk that hard, but um, there's still a lot of ground to be able to hunt out yeah. there. So, it's, it's and, you know, we're, we're really fortunate in this country because a lot of the states have these kinds of programs mm-hmm. where you can go out and, and hunt and not have to own the ground. So, right. Right. Uh, that's kind of cool. Right. And I mean, and, and if you think, and, and that is so true, if you think about going to hunt in Europe, the public opportunity is not there at all. Right. So, right. I mean, it's such a privilege, like I said, just to be able to have something to hunt. And, you know, this season was a big season for me, me and my buddy Shane, um, we that ten miles. We definitely hiked ten miles to find two coveys of quail, and that was all. And a lot of people were like, "That's it." Well, yeah. And I had a damn good time the whole the whole way. Yeah, you, you know. I mean, well, you're, yeah. Two two miles does not sound like that far to me. Yeah, I mean, compared to what we have to well, walk. Well, well, ten miles versus nothing. You know, I'm. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah, you know yeah. it. I'll, I'll definitely take it because it, what I just figure what one hunter won't do the next will. <laughs> that, that, you know, I'll tell you what, and this is just anybody who's hunted hard on public land. I mean, the thing you have to do is get off the main road mm-hmm. and you've got to go, you got to go places where nobody else is willing to go mm-hmm. and you find these little pockets. That's where you find the birds. You right. know, birds are smart. Right. They'll 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 go to where they're not hunted. Right. So and um, and what's kind of cool about South Dakota too, at least in my area, I'm about 20 miles southwest of the national grasslands, which is just south of Pierre, South Dakota. Yeah. And the grasslands has always been known for sharp tails and prairie chickens, right? Mm-hmm. So um, so we've got prairie chickens on my farm. We've got. Um, uh, pheasants, of course, and mm-hmm. and we've got uh, uh, sharp tails, sharp tail grouse. So wow. uh, we we kind of have a nice variety of things to go after. It's kind of cool. So and well, so and, and I do want to I want to get onto your farm, but what is it like hunting sharp tails, man? I've never had the opportunity to do that. Well, I will tell you what, I hunt them, and you know we'll get into this too. But you know I've always had labs mm-hmm. okay and labs are not really sharp tail dogs they're not going to range on you they're not going to they're not going to point although they do some freeze flash type pointing but they, right. they're not 
they're not a German short hair, right? Absolutely. So, so um, up here, the guys who are serious about it, my NAVDA friends, will go um, onto the grasslands, and they've got, you know, a lot of dogs. Mm-hmm. And they'll just get out there just... If you've ever seen the movie Dances with Wolves, um, that is what our area looks like. Actually, that movie was filmed fairly close to where I have my farm. Really? And, I'm going to check it out. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. And it's um, rolling It's rolling hills. It's, it's just grass as far as you can see. And uh, not very many trees. Um, you have some draws. You have some ponds. Mm-hmm. But it's just wide open grasses. Now, my farm's a little different. I'll get into that in a minute. But... Um, the National Grasslands for Sharptails is really cool. And that's where Sharpies really like to be. Right. Is they want to sit up on a hill and they want to see who's coming. Mm-hmm. And they, they like the big wide open spaces. Right. Okay. All right. So, I mean. You have to you, come up and try it sometime. I, uh, look, I need to get this little pointer here uh, ready to rock and roll because I heard they, they like to pop on you too. Mm-hmm. I, I hear they are not tolerant of a dog <laughs> at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Absolutely. I'm a, I'm gonna definitely have to bring Vegas and Ruger up there, and uh, we we gonna hunt some sharp tails, man. And I I um I've got a bit of a vendetta against pheasants from the last time I hunted wild pheasant. Um, they gave me and my buddy Eric a run for our money, man, in Kansas. Oh my gosh! <laughs> well, what, what? So, what was this last year? Did you go? This or? was last year, yeah. So, okay. Um, what ended up happening was realistically, we knew we were in a space for pheasants. So, what had happened was number one, um, my buddy in his his he had a Chesapeake Bay Retriever because um, we had duck hunted okay. earlier that day. Well, he runs it as an upland dog too. And it's a vest, actually a very hard hunting dog. And so he had flushed two roosters um, out of the grass. And I, I saw him from 50 yards away shoot one of those birds. And that bird kept flying. Yep. I mean, kept flying as it, I, I saw it twitch in the air and everything. The other rooster was long gone. Um, yep. And and I and I'm sitting here looking. I mean, I'm watching feathers fall. Never saw that bird again. Never saw right. it again. Right. And they, mo- are, they are really, really tough. I'll tell you. Now, this is my opinion. I know some people won't uh, won't agree with me, but mm-hmm. when I have people come hunt my farm, I tell them. Well, first of all, what's really cool about South Dakota too, is if you have a a semi-automatic, mm-hmm. you could take the plug out. Okay. Oh, really? So you could have five shells in your gun. Okay. Ready, ready to go. Okay. okay? Cool. And out there, especially these wild pheasant. I mean, you shoot till they drop. Yeah, right. They they are tough birds. Mm-hmm. And and when they drop, your dog better be on them <laughs> because they're going to get up and run. And they are going That's to the way it works. Yep, they are going to haul it. I mean. You know, and it's it surprised me because I didn't. You know, we don't have pheasants down here in Georgia, so all I was used to was tower shoots. I was, I was, I, which is a totally this. That's not hunting, obviously, but I was used to birds falling. But they don't. What we were doing, I mean, these are pen raised birds. They fall, right? But these wild birds, man. I mean, they just kept going, and so then, and at the time. Um, my dog was, was younger, obviously, 
and wasn't as good as he is now. He's kind of learning the game. Well, I he overran a pheasant that had just held. I mean, that bad boy did not move. And I kept walking behind him, and I actually stepped on the bird, scared the pants off of me. <laughs> I mean, scared the and I and then it flew around me, and I at the time I couldn't tell whether or not it was a rooster or a hen. So of course I didn't right. shoot because it flew into the sun. So I'm now right. blinded. <laughs> yeah, they kind of they kind of figure that angle out, don't they? All yeah, the time, right. It's it, like, okay, if I fly into the sun, he won't shoot me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, what in the world? And I mean, they were popping. Um, but that was also um, a big day for me because, I mean, we had, we had humped it, man. I mean, we were putting on some time and just not not very successful. And what ends up happening in my lab, at the, I mean, the last of the shooting light, I mean, the last hour of the day. He goes, and I see him get birdie, runs into a bush, flushes up a whole covey of quail. I mean, it was beautiful. Cool. And um, I I was so surprised by just the whole thing. I had shot. Well, I learned real quick that a lot of quail will leave one in the hole. And, okay. and that bad boy decided he was going to flush late. And I got I had enough in me to knock him down. And it was a textbook retrieve. <laughs> Came right back. Oh my god! I mean, and it, it was—I it, could have made a movie off of that. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, that is really cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so, so to answer your original question, because <laughs> we got on a tangent. <laughs> I know. Well, you got to kind of reel us in, right? Right. Um, so the original question was uh, talking about the farm. So, so. When, uh, 2010-ish, 2011, mm-hmm. um, I always wanted to own some property out there, and 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 I went. I actually went to Montana looking for ground, and decided that um, it was just not what I expected it to be okay. from an upland game perspective. Uh, and there's a lot of birds in Montana. Don't get me wrong, but right. um, it was just for what you can get for your money there compared to. Well, actually, I had Jane with me, and she was like, well, why don't you look in South Dakota? You guys have always loved South Dakota. Right. And I said, you know what? I'm going to look in South Dakota. So so we ended up going to South Dakota, and I hooked up with a realtor, and I was looking for about 400 acres at that time. And okay. you know, I was thinking 400 acres would be a nice nice piece of ground to be able to create habitat mm-hmm. and uh, you know, have my own little piece of heaven, right? Right. And... and uh, I looked at it, I saw, I saw a couple of nice pieces, and he goes, listen, he goes, you're here. He goes, I'm going to show you this farm. He goes, it's more than you want. At the time, it was, you know, 2,500 acres of, of ground. He goes, but you got to see this. It's kind of a special place. I said, sure, let's go take a look at it. Well, you know, you know the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, <laughs> once you see that, and it's, it's you know, and then, and then you're like, okay, how do I afford this? And, right. uh you know, you go through the, the financial mental gymnastics in your head. And, uh-huh. You know, you try to figure out how to get it done, and you try to get people to buy it with you, but nobody's as passionate as, as you are about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> so it came down to, you know, Jane uh, telling me, you know, what's the worst that can happen? And at the time, now this is 2011 when, when corn was $7 an acre, $7 a bushel. 
Oh, so, wow. it, you know, land prices were really escalating at that time. They are ramping up. Right. And, um, you know, I was like, well, the worst that can happen, well, I'm sure there's a lot of worse things that can happen. <laughs> this, but at least what I told her was the worst that can happen is if, if we decide that it's too much, um, we'll go ahead and sell, sell bits and pieces out of it. So my original idea was, was to go ahead and, and buy it and then sell pieces of it as we needed to. Um, and thank God, I mean, the prices kept rising and mm -hmm. we were able to actually afford the whole thing. And, nice. and I, and I haven't had to be able, I haven't had to sell it since, uh, and we've had it for about eight years now. Nice. And, um, uh, this, this ground Durrell was owned by a family since the thirties. And the guy that, that ran this, this farm was not a hunter, but he was a conservationist, and he loved wildlife. So he had planted tree rows and done food plots and uh, tall wheatgrass. He had done a lot of the conservation work before I bought it. And, it, and the tree rows that I bought were, or the farm uh, that I had with the tree rows, uh, they were 20, 30, you know, between 10 and 40 years old on this farm. Wow. So they were established, really nice shelter belts. Right. And, uh, you know, it's it's it, it's a phenomenal piece of ground. It, we've got, I don't know, we've probably had eight or nine or ten shelter belts. We've got uh, 500 acres of CRP. Um, I've got ten ponds with all sorts of cattails in them. Um, I've got draws. I've got... Uh, probably three to 500 acres of food plots that I put in every year. Um, we've planted hundreds of acres of, of grass, just tall wheatgrass, not even CRP. It's just nice. planting, planting more nesting, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, this, this place has really turned into one of the best, I think it's probably one of the best natural farm uh, oh, pheasant oh, oh, oh. habitat places in the, in the, in the world. I mean, it, this place is unbelievable. So, um, and people who hunt there kind of agree with me. <laughs> right. I, I can believe it. <laughs> I can definitely believe it, man. That is beautiful. Yeah, no, it's been great. Right. It's been I, great. I, and it's been fun because I love doing that kind of stuff. I mean, that, that actually isn't work to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, that my business is, I'm in the plastics business and one of my, um, original product lines and we'll get into that in a minute but was was uh garden products so i've always had my hands dirty mm -hmm. you know with the with, with the ground and um we actually last year were were honored by pheasants forever our local chapter with the habitat of the year award for creating habitat so um it was uh it was it's beautiful I'd, I'd love to have you out sometime. I I definitely have to get out there, man. Um, matter of fact, <laughs> let me look into what I have coming up next season, and uh, I'll put that on the radar. Cause yeah, yeah, that yeah, is we'll throw you some dates. Yeah, man, that that sounds like a blast. And while you, while you were uh, talking, my doggies over here messed around and got into a little play fight. So, <laughs> and the little one found out that he wasn't as big as the other one. <laughs> Um, but no, I, I definitely have to put that on the radar, Greg, cause that just sounds like paradise. I mean, seriously. And for you to be able to hunt that all the time. Now, do you, are you guiding hunts out there? Or are you just allowing people to just come out and kind of 
free range it. So, so what we do um, is we do take six to eight hunts a year um, that are paid, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I only allow six to eight hunters per group because I don't want to. You know, in South Dakota, you can get into this, these different places where, you know, they've got fifteen to twenty, twenty-five hunters in camp, and it's a cor- it's kind of a corporate hunt. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's not fun, you know. I mean, I I grew up. I grew up hunting with my friends right, and with a couple of buddies and I just want to go out with my dogs now and, and, and hunt a very small group. So, so we kind of try to keep it really intimate like that, you know? Um, and, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, and the other thing is we, we're a hundred percent wild native birds. Right. Like I, I don't want to plant roosters, you know, for, for guys to go hunt because, if you're going to come out to South Dakota and hunt pheasant, mm-hmm. you don't want to hunt ten raised birds. You can do that in Georgia, you know, right. in a tower hunt, right. or in Texas, or wherever you're from. Right. There's no reason to come to South Dakota and hunt ten raised birds. Well, look, I, I appreciate that fact alone, seriously, um, because you make a very, very good point. Um, you know, especially here in Georgia, you're going to use pen raised birds for something. You know, I mm-hmm. and I mean, and I hunt. Aside, I use pen raised birds for training and stuff like that all the time, and I try to exclusively hunt wild birds here um, in Georgia. But sometimes, I mean, especially for someone new, you know, new coming into the game, it makes a lot of sense down here to hunt pen raised birds. But so, you know, why would I make that drive? Um, For me, I would drive out there. Why would I make a drive to South Dakota and not hunt wild birds? I mean, that's what you guys are known for. Exactly. You know, exactly. and and it makes the experience. I mean, to me, that's a quality hunt if you can get on wild birds. I mean, that and it speaks to you know your conservation practices, and it speaks to how you manage um, you know right. your land and populations and predator control to be able to offer um, you know guests to come out and say, "Hey, look, we are hunting wild birds out here." That speaks volumes, Greg. Yeah, and it takes a ton of work that people, you know, it's not by accident that you've got a good wild bird population. You really have to work it, and the predator thing is really a really big comment by you because, you know, every spring for the last eight years, we've done trapping on on the farm for skunks, raccoons, whatever, things that eat pheasant eggs, right, or Mm -hmm. eat sharp tail eggs, because a, a raccoon can go out and find a nest one night they kill the entire nest they eat all the eggs i mean that's that's 12 birds that you're not going to have that year right so um so we've done a ton of the first year that i trapped mm-hmm. um we probably we probably took I, I don't even know how many you know i mean i could say 20 or 30 i can't remember right uh, of predators and every year since then you know we've done we've done a lot of that kind of thing and it's been and it's been really, really positive. Right. And then the other side of that is on the predators is the uh, coyotes. Okay. Which are There's huge. A lot, a lot yeah. of coyotes out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I um, I let people coyote hunt on my property. I that's one thing that I don't say no to very often. Is you want to hunt coyotes, you come on out, and you could go take care of business because. Right. Those guys will take a lot of birds a year. You know, those coyotes are really smart. So. Yep. 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 
And, and I think, <clears throat> just as a segue, you know, I, I also live in Pennsylvania, up near Erie, Pennsylvania, where our factory is. Mm-hmm. And they tried to introduce wild birds in Pennsylvania. And they brought in some birds from South Dakota. And I don't know how successful they've really been in doing that because the problem is Pennsylvania is all big woods, right? Yep. Well, in big woods, you've got a lot of a lot of predator birds, you know, mm-hmm. hawks and eagles and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you've got a lot of skunks and a lot of raccoons and, and all the things that eat eggs. And you have a lot of coyotes. Yep. If they're not doing predator control, they're not going to have a bird, a wild bird population. They just can't do it. Nope. You nope. know, so that's a big deal. It And I, I it's definitely a big deal here in Georgia. Um, I'm not going to say that, that predators are just completely decimating populations but i mean we have a coyote problem out here i mean it's between coyotes and we've got um hogs and i mean they demolish the woods they they really run numbers um on the quail down on the quail populations down here on a lot of different things so you know as as i've gotten more and more involved um in the upland hunting community i've actually earned a, a a much greater respect for the the guys that that are out there trapping and you know just really coyote hunting because it helps my it helps me out <laughs> absolutely well so, you know it kind of and it's something to do that's fun in the in the in the winter you know right. i mean go out and coyote hunt i mean it's when when you can't hunt birds go out and coyote hunt i mean it's it's uh it's only going to help your bird hunting especially in the area that that you're gonna that you're gonna hunt birds. Right. Go out there and, and look for some coyotes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Well, so. look that that was definitely a good uh, a, again another good tip for anybody that's just now getting into it. Like, look, <laughs> you can extend your hunting season. Get on some coyotes. You definitely can. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So fun to hunt those things right now you said also that you hunt with labs now are those yep all right that's your personal that's your breed of choice why exclusively labs so so here's how the the, uh the evolution of that okay Mm -hmm. um i've always been a pheasant hunter i'm i'm starting to expand my i really want to you talk about quail and you talk about you know grouse uh up north and some other some other varieties, some some of the quail that are in, uh, you know, like the scaled quail in the Arizona area and whatever, mm-hmm. um, chuckers out in out in uh, Utah and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But for labs, especially where I've hunted, um, it's it seems that it's the best way to hunt pheasant. Yep. And here's here's my take on that. I have a lot of guys come in from different parts of the country. And they say, I have a GSP or I have, you know, some kind of ranging type pointer. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them, I said, you bring them out, we'll hunt them. I said, but if, if your dog is not well controlled, we're going to crate the dog because what happens is this. We have so many birds and they get smart. You know, maybe the first couple weeks, um, there's a lot of the dumb ones, you know, that year's, that year's brood. Mm-hmm. But once they get hunted a couple times... When one when one bird gets up, you could get twenty or thirty or forty birds get up with them. Right. Okay. I mean, it's just the way it's going to happen. And if and if your if your pointer is a hundred yards in front of you, putting birds up, 
and every all the birds getting up with them, mm-hmm. that's not really helping anybody, but the dog is having fun, you know? Right, you'll never so. get a shot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you will never get a so, shot. <laughs> you, you won't, you know? And so, you know, my labs, I've trained them to quarter really well with, with the hunters. Mm-hmm. They stay within gun range of me. Um, and so when they get a bird up, you know, somebody's going to get a shot at that bird. Right. And um, just for, for my property and for pheasant hunting, um, it seems to work out well. And I think people get confused because they don't hunt wild birds. They hunt the pen-raised birds. Mm-hmm. Well, pen-raised bird, you can use a pointer, and, you know, the thing could be 100 yards from you, and it's probably not going to fly. Right. It's going to sit right there and wait for you, for you to come up, and the dog's pointing. And But that doesn't really happen very mm-hmm. well. I'm not going to say it never happens because it does with wild birds, but it doesn't happen very well in in, in my farm on, in South Dakota. Well, and, and I mean, and a, you bring up a very good point. I mean, the realism of, um, of, of hunting wild birds, wild birds, like I said before, are not tolerant, period. I mean, everything in the world is already trying to kill it. So, yep. you know... I would hate to have anyone bring a big ranging dog out there and just tear up the hunt. And when you get, when you're and your dog also gets very reliant on, on uh pen raised birds also, you know, there it's, right. it's nice to use them early on for training and things like that. But you know, you, you mess around and you get a, a, a dog that starts to creep a little bit. Yep. You got yourself a problem. And it might not be running amok in the field, but, you know, if you don't have a rock-solid dog, you are going to sell yourself short during a hunt. Um, yep. You know, I agree with you on the lab, you know, hunt using labs to hunt pheasants. Um, as much as I want to say that I'm going to end up using this little pointer to, to, to hunt pheasant. I don't think it's realistic, and I, I'm curious to know if it even creates a bad habit in the dog because the pheasant's going to run. Well, a, a that's, sm- that's kind of that's interesting. I never thought of it that way, mm-hmm. but you, you might be right, Ralph. That's, yeah, I just uh, I wonder if it, okay because a quail a quail will sit there, you know, and, until that dog. Now, if it creeps a little too er, too much, that that cubby's going to bust. But for the most right. part, it'll give you enough time to at least get within a in range. And I'm talking about wild quail. But a pheasant, yep. a rooster is going to run. It's going to let that little hen fly off, and that rooster is gone. You yep. know, and yep. I just, I don't want to entice my dog because I don't think it's necessarily fair to expect a pointer um, to not creep. I mean, we're talking about natural instinct here. Right, right. You know, with a lab... Hey, <laughs> I'm 20. He's hunting anywhere between 30 and maybe at the most 50 yards ahead of me. But exactly, uh, you yep. know, that's a reasonable shot for me. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and the you know the the sharp tails and the chickens out out in South Dakota, those are great for for your pointers because right. they will hold for you out right. there. Right. That's just that's just their instinct to hold. So. Mm-hmm. That works out really well out in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, I you know <laughs> I just love dogs, and you know it's funny it's 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 funny because we're national sponsors with uh, Dakota Two Eighty Three is national sponsors with NAVDA, mm-hmm. and um, you know so nobody in NAVDA has a lab, right? So, right, and I oh my gosh, <laughs> it's, it's, 
it's hard to have this conversation with a lot of my NAVDA friends. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, that's not to say I will never own one. I mean, you know, I am expanding my horizons on different breeds of, different species of upland game mm-hmm. and i definitely could see myself having a pointer at some point in my in my life that'd be, that'd be awesome yeah i'm i'm telling you man like it's now it is a transition it's a there it's a different dog and i learned on uh, on labs um it's it's a totally different way of thinking you know, I, I a lot of the times even, and I, I'm not putting too much pressure on this little guy right now, but reading and learning, you know, how to kind of start steadying him up, you know, it, it, for me with a lab, I didn't want him to range like that. You know, when he was young, I kept yeah. it, you know, I kept him on a check cord and only let him go out maybe, you know, at when he's starting out, maybe 30 feet and kind of just let it go out a little increments at a time. But for the most part, I wanted him to scale back in. Whereas this little dude, I'm trying to push him out. <laughs> right, right. It's right. a it's a different way of thinking. I will tell you that. Um, very fun, and they are and and they're, the the temperaments are a lot different too. Um, yeah, I don't I don't claim to be a trainer of mm-hmm. dogs. Okay, mm-hmm. but. Everybody that I've seen that have young dogs, the best training that you can give to a young dog is get it with an experienced dog, mm-hmm. and the young dog will follow the experienced dog, mm-hmm. and if the experienced dog is ranging, yep. like what you want, then it will follow that. A lot of times, it'll follow that dog. Mm-hmm. So um, they learn from each other, you yep. know, yep. They, a lot of times. So and that, and that that makes so much sense. Um, you know, as far as encourage, it builds that dog's confidence. It just does so many good things. Um, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a buddy down here, Richard, that has a dog that ranges well. And Shane and all of these guys with pointing breed. So pretty soon I'm going to be doing just that. Like, look, let Pup run behind him. <laughs> just go. <laughs> so exactly. now how many labs are you carrying? So, so I have, I have two. I've got a, I've got an eight-year-old be nine this year, okay, and then I have a four-year-old. So, so my eight and nine-year-old uh, chocolate is—I hope he's—I know he's got at least one more season in him. I hope I can get two out of him, but he, you know, he's not far. You know, once you get to be 10, 11 years old, I mean, it's—it's it's getting close to retirement. Time. Yeah, you're so, not, you're knocking on that door. Um, yeah, and then I've got um, my buddy Gary is. He he comes out and does all my guiding for me. Mm-hmm. So so when the hunters come out, they'll they'll be working with Gary, and he has two labs also. Okay. And um, he's actually a breeder, and um, so my Ramsey has fathered about forty five pups with his dogs. And, nice. And I and I've got one. I've got Ramsey's daughter Gilly, and um, you know, so we've got we've got a stable of four dogs, four labs. And we just basically platoon them. You know, you'll run two for for an hour or so, and then you grab the other two, and then mm-hmm. they'll run for an hour, and and so it works out really well because you know you, they just get tired. I mean, you, you can't dogs can't go for five or six. At least my guys can't go six hours really hard. Right. You know, I mean, right. that's they're going three times. They're walking and running three times more than we are. Right. So. And and that's I mean it's. 
It's important to have that dog power and just to be able to switch out. Um, that was that was a big thing for me. So <laughs> yeah, I, I just absolutely. needed a second dog, seriously. Um, yeah, absolutely. You're not going to hunt down here in Georgia. You're not going to hunt in Georgia without a pointer. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I did it for two years, and I was like, all right. <laughs> we, need to do, we need to do something else. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's amazing. You know, like 35 years ago, when I started this, um, when I hunted with my family, none of us had dogs, mm-hmm. and we would we would get limits. Um, but you always think about how many birds did you walk by, right? Or you know whatever. So I mean, it's it, it's when you have a lot of birds, you can still hunt without a dog, but it's not as fun, right? You know, right. hunting behind a dog is great, and right. you know my dogs, you know, and they're they're they don't know how blessed they are. I mean, they they probably flush two to three thousand birds a year. Wow. I mean, just because when I take them for a walk, they're 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 flushing birds every mm-hmm. time I take them for a walk, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so and they they kind of get it. They get it. Doesn't take them long to get into the season. That's for sure. Right. Hey, I'm I'm here for it, man. I wish I was in your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Greg, let's let's talk about your early career with plastics and also early Dakota two eighty three. Okay, so um, I've always been in plastics um, from a young guy out of college and um, ended up starting a rotational molding business at the age of 35, and uh, we made um, a lot of different types of products. Um, we we're a custom, a custom molder, so that means you make so an inventor will come to you and say, I want to make this, and then you'll design it, and then you'll build the mold, and then you'll make these products for the inventor. Now, is that Good so, Ideas, Inc.? Sorry? Is that the company Good Ideas? No, that's that's a company called Sterling Technologies. Okay. And it's out of Lake City, Pennsylvania. Okay. And uh, so we started, and, and early on in my career, we, we hooked up with a company that sold military cases to, you know, the different uh, enclosures and cases that go, uh, that the military uses for, um, you know, either guns or equipment or whatever. Nice. And what was cool about that, and we parlayed that knowledge uh, later on, but what was cool about that is you really learned what kind of resin do you need that's perfect and it's going to be the most durable under high-stress conditions. And in the plastics world, a high-stress condition is a cold weather application. Generally, if it's really cold, your plastic's going to get brittle, and it's it's more apt to fracture and, and break. Really? So, okay. Oh, yeah. So, you know, when I decided to get into the kennel business, which was, oh, about six or seven years ago when we really started thinking about it, um, we took a lot of that technology that we've learned in the military applications, mm-hmm. and we we took that that those designs and the resin technology, and we built it into our kennel. So, um, you know, we've got we've got a kennel that can withstand 40 below zero. Uh, just that's the way the resin uh, is tested. Wow. And you can hit the thing with a baseball bat at 40 below, and it's not going to shatter on you. Wow, um, that's cool. Which is which is really cool. Yeah. You know? um, if you look at, and I'll just say uh, this name, like everybody knows what a pet make crate is, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's an injection molded two piece shell, mm-hmm. uh, crate. 
the the well, standard crate that most people get. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're a hundred dollars, or you know, they're inexpensive crates, mm-hmm. you know. And the problem is, they don't last in high stress situations. Right. You know, you're going to end up buying several of those in your life, and you're you're going to end up spending as much money uh, or more than you would if you would have just bought one of my crates or right. my kennels. Right. And you could have it for the life of, of, of your dog, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, and um, I think that's important by one time. <laughs> buy it right. I mean, how much money do you spend on a dog when you buy a good pup? How much money do you spend? You spend any, anywhere between, I would say, 600 and about $1,500. And that's probably low. Um, yep. My, my, um, my pointer was 600 a, a, a week and some change ago. So okay. and that's, that's on the low end. And I've, okay. I've heard of people spending more money than that. So by the time you buy the, the dog and you buy the, uh, all the vet bills and things mm-hmm. that you have to do with the dog and you get the, all the equipment that you need. I mean, you've got thousands of dollars into this mm-hmm. into this dog, right? Easily. So the least, you, of the least you can do is buy a home for that dog that's going to be really secure. It's going to be uh, keep it safe when when you do get into an accident. Mm-hmm. God forbid, right? Mm-hmm. You want you want something that's going to withstand uh, stress and uh, impact. Yep. And uh, so I always tell people, you know, you could. You know, do it right the first time. Yep. You know, just yep. just do it right. Yep. So and and it, uh, what did it say? What is what's the phrase? Buy once, cry once, or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, believe me, man, I have cried more than once <laughs> over my uh, over my pet my pet mate. You know what I got tired of before I got into this business because I had I had those cheaper kennels too. Mm-hmm. So what I got tired of is. I have the crate in the back of the truck. I'd go back there, and I'd find nuts and bolts all over my truck. Oh my they gosh! Yeah, they vibrated off the the deal, mm-hmm. and now and now you know you lose them, or you, you just don't have time to fix it, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So now that you got you originally had eight or nine bolts holding it together, now you've got two bolts holding the thing right. together. Right, you know? <laughs> and at any point that thing gonna fly off your truck or. Something, yeah. oh my, that right there drove me up the wall when I, not knowing any better, just bought one of those, um, and this was actually when I got Ruger, two, going on three, almost three years ago, um, yeah, same problem, the, the pieces will be gone, and the kennel rattling, and then as a pup, of course, he chewed on his kennel. So he'd chew off half of the side of the kennel, the the little lip part of it. Right. He chewed it off. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> it, there was just so many things that was just wrong with that kennel. Um, it it just became a bit of a a, a nuisance. Like it really right. did. So right. you know that was one of the reasons why I was so impressed with um, Dakota Two Eighty Three before I even met you. Um, I had been, you know, doing some new kennel shopping cause I'm trying to get, I was trying to get rid of my other one. Um, and just the construction of the G3 that you sent me. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Couldn't yeah. get any better. Well, I'll tell you what, um, it, 
and G3 stands for Generation 3, right? Mm -hmm. We're pretty creative here, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> G3. <laughs> yeah. So that's our third. So we are not perfect in any sense of the word, but what we are good at is listening to customers and listening to hunters mm -hmm. and taking that input and say, okay, if we make, how do we make this better? And so we're on our third generation of, of kennel design. And I can tell you there's a G4 in the works, you know, nice. because we want to, we want to continue to make it better. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's definitely something people should consider. I mean, it's, it's one of the primary pieces of equipment that I think people should not skimp on. Yeah. They just shouldn't. Right. You know? So, well, well look, Hey, um, so just, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of leak this to you earlier. Uh, my wife was so impressed with this kennel. She's definitely like, so why don't you talk to Greg about getting another one of them? <laughs> I was like, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll work out something, man. That'd be good. Hey, yeah, look. We'll get you another kennel. <laughs> she was like, so, uh. Yeah, I really like the way this works. And and she was fiddling around with it, of course, because, of, of course, you know, I knew what we were getting. Um, but that's not necessarily her field of expertise. So when it came in the mail, she was looking like, okay, like, let me let me see some of the features. Let me see why you keep talking about it. Um, and, I mean, the, the, the latch, I kept bragging about the key in the latch. That was my biggest thing. Um, yep. And she actually really appreciated it because um, quite a few times we've been, you know, out on a hunting trip and you just out in an unfamiliar city. And yep. nobody, I, I, I've said this a couple of times in my intros also, like you don't want to, sometimes you have to leave your dog on the back of a truck. Yep. And it is, it is it's the feeling in the pit of your stomach, like my, my kennel's not locked. It's not locked. Right. Please let me right. walk outside and my dog still be there. Right, right. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, hey, listen. <coughs> the first one of our, our what I call our G1, but it's actually called the uh, the, the Kenbeck kennel, which we still sell. Mm -hmm. uh, it was our two-handled kennel. And, um, well, it was a pin system door. Mm -hmm. And everybody knows a pin system door. Yeah, the little, squeeze it. Yep. The little rods that go north and south. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's just... It's just an inferior door. Yeah. Um, so if you have a pin system door, I don't know about you got anybody out there, but I got tired of trying to find the holes. Oh my god! Open the door. Try look. Try thinking that you locked it, and you next thing you know, your dog has uh, has pushed the kennel door open and is now walking upstairs to sit next to you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so so I was like, how do we get out of this pin this pin system door? And, and so we started working on the current, the current door design and we said, how do we make this thing so solid and so fantastic that people will brag more about the door than they do the actual kennel. Mm -hmm. And we're there right now. I mean, people, I can't tell you how many people come up to me and say, uh, I like the kennel. I love the door. Right. I mean, Right. It's a it's an aluminum frame, stainless steel, great stainless steel components. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not going to rust on you. Um, it's not plastic. There's a lot of doors out there now. Um, do not buy a plastic door. Yeah. People shouldn't because I go back to the cold weather applications. 
and a plastic door is generally injection molded or thermoformed mm -hmm. and that process creates micro stresses in in the on the molecular level of the door of the plastic yep and when you get into a cold weather situation um it doesn't take a whole lot for a dog to you know press up against a door and, and break it yep you know yep. And, and, and we're not dealing with weak dogs either no exactly mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. So um, it's been it's been really cool to see the metamorphosis of our door and, and what we have now. So it's 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 been it's been a great it's been a great addition to the uh, to the features of, of the G3 for sure. Right. Right. Now, in, in addition to the G3, because that's one of the signature, um, I guess what you call the signature line of the kennels, you've got a, a few new and upcoming products, too, correct? Uh, yeah, sure. Um so, uh, several actually, uh, really, really excited about a couple of them. Um, one of the things we just now came out with is, is the Tano, mm -hmm. like we call it the T1. Mm -hmm. All right. It, it fits under a Tano cover and a truck. Nice. And most panels don't do that because they're just too tall. Right. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of people say, Hey, I've got a Tano cover. It won't fit. And, so we, we built a kennel, uh, our first one, that fits under a tonneau, a tonneau cover. Now, why do people want that? I go back to what you just said. Hey, I, I stopped in an unfamiliar town, um, and I'm going in to grab breakfast or dinner or whatever, and I want to be able to lock my, my dog and have it secure. Well, now you can have a dog under a tonneau cover, with mm -hmm. the tailgate closed, nobody even knows you have a dog in there. Mm -hmm. It's, and I think you can you can lock your I think you can lock your, uh, you know your tailgate. Yep. Some some trucks you can. Yep. So it's a very secure situation. It's yep. a very secure deal. Now our Tano cover, um, our T1 that we just came out with. It's not even on the website yet, but if anybody wants a T1, they can just reach out to us and we will get it. We're in the process of getting it on a website. Okay. Um, but, um, it's our first tonneau cover kennel. And I will tell you that if you have a large dog, um, it's probably going to be too small for it. Yeah. Um, just because we're learning too, right? So yeah. we, we, we built this thing and it's great for the, the smaller dogs, the mm -hmm. Britneys, the, uh, the English setters, the, the smaller breeds of, of dogs, mm -hmm. uh, not so much for a for a, a, an eighty to ninety pound lab or a very large GSP. Although you can get you can get a GSP in there, right. um, but I don't, I wouldn't recommend a, a large GSP to to go in that and then go you know on a ten hour drive. Right. You know it's going to be it's going to be real tight for them. So we're in the process of making. Our, we'll probably have a T2, mm -hmm. which is going to be a little wider, a little bit longer, so you have a little bit more space in there, um, and it can fit, still fit under the tonneau cover. Right. So, right. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And the other thing we did was, if you and I didn't mention this before, Darrell, uh, but <coughs> the uh, uh, we have a patented uh, molded-in handle on the top of the G3s. Mm -hmm. So it's real easy to grab and go. Oh I mean, man! It's a solid molded in handle. 
if you need to, and you you could probably talk about that because mm-hmm. you've probably done it many times. Yeah. How do, you, how do you like grabbing that and putting that in your truck? It's quick. It is. And when Greg, when I tell you, first of all, being at the the kennel is not heavy, which I appreciate. It's yep. It's not cumbersome to move around, and mm-hmm. there's already been a few times where it's you know four o'clock in the morning, and I'm you know half stumbling to get out of the house. Um, right. It, I really appreciate the fact that I can just suitcase it, just pick it on up, you know, put it in the back of the truck. But then the way that you've uh, situated the the mold, the the handle, you know, I I use ratchet straps to uh, lock my kennel down, and it I mean it's perfect. The other kennel that I had, it had these weird screw in handles or whatever, um, and it didn't necessarily secure it like i could ratchet strap it down in the back but then the front of the kennel will be fishtail and you know and the mm-hmm. truck versus the way that the g3 is set up now it i mean it literally sits solid it sits very flat um and it, it i mean rock. yeah it doesn't rock if, it doesn't if you, put, mm-hmm. if you put two two uh, ratchet straps, one one you know forward, one back mm-hmm. into your uh, D rings of your truck or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that thing is solid. It's rock it is solid, absolutely solid. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and that's it's how I have good. it set up. And you know, that's just it's it's things like that that I appreciate because it's it's very customer focused. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're sponsoring a podcast, but I still do very much so take a, a, a customer mindset in a lot of ways because yep. I, I just think it's smart to do so. Um, yep. And little details like that are what set the kennel apart from so many others that are out here in the industry. Um, and I'm sorry, Greg, I just don't want to deal with a heavy kennel if I don't have to, man. <laughs> there's, there's, there, there is a high-end kennel out there that will rename nameless. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but it's interesting how many people come up to us, and we were just inundated. We'll talk about Pheasant Fest a little bit, but we were inundated by people the last two years that tell me, "Hey, I bought brand X, and let me tell you why you're better." Yeah, and I say, "Yeah, well, why don't you why don't you tell me?" You know, and one of the things is is we're 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 heavy duty, but we're not heavy. Right. So. You know, your your bride can take that kennel and move the kennel without mm-hmm. your help. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, that's one of the things, you know, and mm-hmm. and uh, it's a big deal. It's a it's a really it's a really big deal. So right, and and that you know, so, that speaks volumes. I mean, seriously. Um, it, it, think about a guy that's you know he's still out hunting, and they're uh, awesome heroic stories of 70 80 year old guys out there still kicking dirt and still you know really really moving it well he's not gonna want to pick up a, a a you know one ton kennel man it just is not yeah. gonna want to make that happen um yep i just and and that kennel weight accommodates for people like that you know um <laughs> For me, yeah, I could pick up a heavy kennel, but I just don't want to do that. And like I said, I'm not a morning person, so the smallest <laughs> detail will get on my nerves. Well, you know, you'll get along really well. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I I am the the worst thing that that the thing that drives me up the wall about hunting is duck hunting. I I have a lab, I love it, and 
all of that stuff. But getting up early for duck hunting, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I yeah. and I, I do it, but I do it and yep. grit my teeth every time. <laughs> I, I know, I know. It kind of cuts into your adult beverages at night. They, exactly. Up morning. <laughs> <laughs> and look, I got I got to verbally apologize to my buddy Shane because I definitely left him hanging one uh, one morning. We were supposed to go hunting. I had a couple too many drinks the night before and didn't wake up on time. <laughs> Been so, there, done that. <laughs> yeah, and and that duck hunt just got further and further away. I woke up and it was ten o'clock the next morning. <laughs> you know, there, there is a reason in South Dakota that opening the opening week of pheasant hunting in South Dakota mm-hmm. is it starts at noon. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh my God, y'all are smart. <laughs> y'all are smart. The rest, the rest of the season. The rest of the season, that doesn't you can't hunt until ten o'clock. Well, most of us can get up and get going by ten o'clock. Right. right. So, you know, it's uh, it's it's kind of a good fit for me. I can tell you that. Oh man, I mean, yeah. those are those are the hunts that I'm like, okay, even because the closest place that I have to go hunt quail is um, either north or south Georgia, which is all of maybe a two and a half hour drive north. Or a four-hour drive south, and I already have to wake up early anyway to do it. But right. Jesus, I, I if I can give myself one or two more hours before I get on the road, I yeah, <laughs> yep. absolutely. I I'm absolutely. just like give me just give me that little bit of time. So yeah, yeah we will sure. we will get along great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so That's you awesome. you also have a couple other products. Um, and and this yeah, so is actually good. one of the spe- the um the features in the promo code that we've got the dining dash products the 3.0 the right. 3.5 now my buddy has one of those Shane and he okay. swears by it i mean loves it so talk about yep. that a little bit so so we started uh years ago with a dining dash which is um again you know and I, I preface this by telling you everything that we make is, you know, the military grade resins and technology. We want to make it so you can run it over with your tractor and mm-hmm. it's still going to be operational. Mm-hmm. So, so we started with this Dine and Dash. It was a two gallon uh, container um, and it has a second container in it to put your dry food. Yep. Okay. So, um, easy to grab. It's got a molded in handle. Uh, easy to use. You pull a plug, throw it on the ground, and let your let your dogs you know get hydrated. And then you just lift the handle, and the water goes back into the container, so you don't lose the water that you poured out. Yep. It's, it's it gets used again. Um, and that was a two gallon version, and that's that's done very well in the marketplace, and mm-hmm. it's it's sold well. But we've had people say, "Well, Greg, I'm running." I'm running two to four dogs and two gallons of water is just not enough. I need more water. So, so this year we developed a dash product. So it's not a dine and dash. We don't have the food part of it, but mm-hmm. we have just the water component and we have a three and a half and a five gallon dash, same principle. Um, but now you can take, you know, up to five gallons of water with you oh, and that's perfect. you don't have to worry about running out of water. That's so perfect. You know? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I use it for my kids in 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 their kennel. Is I'll fill that five gallon 
container at the beginning of the week, mm-hmm. and it, they're good to go for three or four days. You yep. know, I mean, I don't have to worry about water for three or four days. It's, right. it's great. Right, and that's yeah. I mean, that is perfect. Um, man, look, come down here. And I, I know you know how it is down here in this Georgia heat. That dash five point oh for anybody living in the south. You need yep. it. <laughs> you need oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, you can burn up a dog quick. And the first thing, your hunt is over. They're going to go looking for shade and looking for water. So, um, yep, absolutely. You know, this, absolutely. And, and that's just another testament to thinking about the marketplace and some of the needs and demands, um, you know, in the marketplace. You've got a, a, a host of other things going on. Oh, and also, just sidebar, you've added some new colors to these products, too. Yeah, yeah. We came out with a signature line. Um, I've got to I've got to give my wife a pat on the back on this. She goes, you know, these are all hunting colors, but you know what? These kennels are good for other things besides hunting. Mm-hmm. And so we came out with, you know, a pink version, mm-hmm. a, a midnight blue version in our signature line, and we came out with a... Uh, a granite type of a sandstone mm-hmm. color. Um, and so, yeah, we've got some options there for people who want something um, a little different than the standard, you know, coyote tan or mm-hmm. desert tan or, or, you know, olive, olive green or anything like that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's been good. And we, that's a, that's a fairly new product for us too. We're just, again, it's not even on our website yet. So we, we have a tendency to, do a really good job on our product development, and then it takes us a while to get it to get caught up on the marketing side. You're right, but we're getting there, you know. Right, so, right. Um, another another cool product, man. That was really uh, people are really freaking out about this too. It's it's pretty cool. We when I was talking to breeders several years ago or last year, they said, "Hey, Greg, love your kennel, but I." When my puppies are go off to their final home, wherever whoever's buying them, um, we need to give them a small area or small kennel because they're small dogs, right? Right. And and dogs like smaller; they feel very secure in a in a small area. Mm-hmm. So we came up with a system, or it's a it's a basically an insert that you use with the kennel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call it the forever insert. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the forever insert because it it lines up with our ventilation holes and it creates smaller spaces inside of the uh, inside of the kennel. Mm-hmm. So so as the dog grows, you just simply move the spacer back until the dog is fully grown. You take the spacer out and you don't need it anymore. Yep. I need and, to get that one you know, from you too. <laughs> It's a, it's a perfect for what where you are right now with your with your puppy, mm-hmm. and it's a you know it's a patented it's a patented thing, and um, we're really the breeders are really excited about this because now with the forever insert, the people that they sell their their dogs to, I mean let's face it, your breeders are product influencers mm-hmm. on the people they sell to, right? Absolutely. If they tell if they tell you to use a Garmin. Or a dog truck, uh, you know, uh, e collar. You're gonna. Use you're probably it. gonna. You're probably gonna go about and buy a right. Garmin Tritronics or a dog truck, whatever they tell you to do, because they are the experts, right? Right. Um, if if they tell you 
to buy a Dakota 283 kennel uh, and use this insert, then you're probably going to do that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And it allows, it, allows, it allows people to buy their forever kennel with the forever insert that the dog's going to be in for the life of the dog. Yep. So yep. it's yep. it's I'm pretty excited a lot. We have a lot of breeders pretty excited about this product. Well, I um, like I said, I need to get that from you too. So that's going to be on my list of stuff to bug you about after this episode yeah. as well. well. Just shoot me an email, man. I'll take care of you on that. I oh. need one of those. Oh, well, yeah, and you know, it, it's also um, you know very it's very important to me at least, and, and maybe some other folks will agree. I don't. I my kennel I designate for that dog. So that G three is is Vegas's home. That's it. Ruger yep. he's been in a few a, a couple of times, but most of the time you know he's out and about. Um, you know, kind of roaming in the house until I need to pack him up. Well, at at a point, of course, I'm going to need to get another um purchase another kennel and stuff like that. But I like to say, hey, look, dog, this is your home. For good, that's you. Yep. Um, and that forever, that forever um, uh, insert. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I was trying to catch my words. But the forever yep. insert that is gonna help, you know, really get the dog acclimated to the space of that kennel. Because you know, right now Ruger's been in it and he he's totally fine. It's it's perfect space for a 55 pound dog but this little guy here is tiny you know and he just balls up into a little corner and i can see him kind of trying to make his you know like like you said trying to make his own little small space in the corner of the kennel right you know but if i can help him out with that (laughs) i definitely want to um, absolutely so absolutely. you know that's definitely the something nice, the other nice part about keeping a small space for puppies especially if they haven't been trained mm-hmm. yet and they have a big kennel mm-hmm. well they're probably going to have an accident in that kennel they oh got space yeah to do that. and you are going <laughs> to okay. find yourself cleaning up a lot <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you that's just the way that goes and you know that's not to say they're not going to have an accident in in if you have a forever insert in there but mm-hmm. Um, what's nice is, hey, this is this is a kennel you, you take out of the take out of your truck and or wherever it is, turn it upside down and hose it out, and you're right. good to go again. You're good I to mean, go. That's, that's easy. That's and I mean, and and you're you bring up a good point. A pup is less inclined to have accidents in a kennel when he don't have any space to move. Um, mm-hmm. Because and and I just the way I do it now. Um, to accommodate for this space when Vegas is in there, I just take him out a lot. So, right. by, by the time he comes in, he don't have to go. But right, right. What if someone doesn't have that kind of time? I mean, I'm 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 fortunate right. enough to work close enough to my house where I can just kind of come back and forth on my lunch break, take him out. Next thing you know, I don't necessarily have any issues. Um, right. But the forever insert that is definitely something that. Um, I hope any of my listeners would bug would, would beat down your door for because and also I mean it's it's about to be spring training time which means mm-hmm. people are about to buy spring puppies I mean that's that's yep. typically how it goes so if you're gonna buy that kennel um, just go ahead and and, and stick the the uh, forever insert in the cart as well <laughs> yeah why not I mean it's it's uh, I think it's gonna be a really really cool product for a mm-hmm. lot of people and it's gonna it's gonna keep them you know like i said let's let's buy it once 
let's get let's get a good product and buy it once and not have to worry about buying it again. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's kind of how we roll. So, right now. You've also gotten the, the 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 last two things. I'm I'm gonna drive you up the wall about products because I'm a brand junkie. So <laughs> no problem. <man>. Um, <laughs> you've got the Groom Pro and you've got another line of working dog kennels as well. So yeah, let me let me just talk. We'll talk about the Groom Pro real quick. Um, we've actually had that product for a while, but we just took it under the under the uh, Dakota brand recently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's, if you guys have seen, um, I'm sure everybody has seen when you go and get a dog uh, washed, mm -hmm. you know, wherever you go, you have those big stainless steel tables with the back plate and, mm -hmm. you know, all that. And just so you keep the water contained and this and that. So we, we developed a, uh, again, a linear low density polyethylene um, uh, table that is contains water. So when you take a hose to your dog and you want to wash your dog, you know, it could be a 10-minute event, and you uh, you just wash your dog. It's really easy to get your dogs up in it and get them washed, and there's, you know, a nice drainage area. You put it over, you put it outside or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, or in, in my case, I, I wash my dogs in my garage over a drain, mm -hmm. and it just drains right into the, right into the drain, and, and, you know... Uh, let's face it. It's not the, it's not the most fun to wash your dogs, but oh my gosh, you know, every yeah. once in a while they need a bath. They know? do. <laughs> so. They do. And look, if you if you have the wife that I have, we don't have no stinking dogs in the house. <laughs> yep. Exactly. She, exactly. She is not gonna tolerate it. So that's um, you know, it's see that's why I like you, Greg. <laughs> you covering all your bases. <laughs> Well, I've got, we must have the same wife, man, because I'll tell you what, I mean, bringing my dogs into the house is like an act of God. Oh my God. If, yeah. if they, if, if they've got a ton of hair on, they're shedding and, you know, if they stink like a kennel, mm -hmm. then, you know, Ain't it's happening. not going to happen. Ain't happening. I'm just <laughs> look, Ashley is like, uh-uh. Then, -uh. and you know, we have our dogs in the house, but if there is a hint of stink on that dog. Nope. Right. You, and then she don't care what time it is. No, go outside and watch that right. dog. <laughs> right. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. So, yep. Yeah. No, it's gonna be. It's good, and it's and it's not. Um, it's not crazy expensive. You know, you mm -hmm. those stainless steel tubs or tables that they sell. You know, they could be eight hundred to fifteen hundred dollars. You know, for under four hundred dollars, you can buy this product, mm -hmm. and and you're good to go. Right. You know. So. Right. Right. It's uh, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, people who have it really like it. So mm -hmm. uh, we, we're doing something right. So look, you're um, doing a lot of uh, different things right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the working dog thing is kind of interesting because you know we do a couple shows every year. We do uh, the shot show in Vegas every every January. Mm -hmm. And if you've never been to the shot show, um, you have to go to the shot show at least once in your life. Okay. You're. It, it is. Every gun, every optic, every every dog product, every anything to do with hunting, mm -hmm. um, the manufacturers and uh, and developers are there. It's a huge show. Love it. Yeah. It's it's hard it's hard to see in one day. You almost need two full days to see it. But okay, uh, all right. What, what 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 was cool about this show when we started doing about four or five years ago was. I ran into a whole different dog owner than what I'm used to. Cause I'm, I'm a hunter first more mm -hmm. than anything. Mm -hmm. And, 
Um, these a lot of these guys are police and military people going through the shot show because it's a lot of guns and things, you know. Mm-hmm. And and these guys have different breeds of dogs than what you and I have. They have German Shepherds, they have Belgian Malinois, they've mm-hmm. got very aggressive dogs that are used for protection. Uh, they're used for drugs. They're used for a lot of different things, right? Right. And um, we uh, we collaborated with, and we don't have this out yet, but we're in the middle. I would say in the next quarter or two, you'll see us come out with our working dog, what I call the, our working dog kennel. Um, it's basically the G3 on total steroids, man. Nice. It is, it is going to be really, really cool for... Uh, for the working dog, the working dog owner, right. um, it's, it's, I'm really excited to get, it's a whole different market for us. So we're learning as we go, but it's, uh, it's going to be a really great, really great product for those guys. Okay. Look, I, yeah. um, and what's interesting, um, I, I'm almost positive. I've got a few listeners that are not hunters per se. Um, they are, you know, they're working performance, uh, protection sports guys. And, um, you know, I think they would appreciate that. So, you know, whenever, whenever everything is ready to, to, you know, be advertised, man, let me know, because I I think that's an industry that for us hunters, I mean, I just don't think many of us think about that, you know, um, and and it's, yep, exactly. mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, And I'll tell you the, 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 Everybody that comes up to me says, I have a Houdini. You know, mm-hmm. they, they always call their, their dog the Houdini because they get out of their, their crates, right? Yep. Um, this thing, um, I brought it to a guy who we've been working with, and he goes, listen, he goes, I have, I'll put, I'll put my most aggressive dog in this crate, and if it lasts more than an hour, I'll be surprised. And I said, okay, let's do it. <laughs> and it the dog could not get out. Would really? not could not get out of this crate. And this was this was a very intense military, you know, attack dog that's frankly kind of scary to be around. Right. You know, I mean they're 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 trained in a different way than, than our hunting dogs. Right. You know? Look, they are all business. I've been around a couple of guys like that. And them Malinois are all business. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so anyway, I, that, that's really exciting, and, and we should be able to share that with, with you and your audience, um, you know, fairly fairly soon. And when I mean that, probably in the first half of this year, I would okay. say. Okay. Yeah. Well, look, so, man, like I said, I, I'm sure a lot of people will appreciate that. Um, you know, it, it's – I wonder, Greg, what – you've got all of these products – um, that are just stellar, stellar, stellar products. Um, the manufacturing is good. I mean, you really spent a lot of time. So early on, did you have any like aha moments? Like that was like, okay, this is it. This is what we have. Um, you know, it's it's incremental. You mm-hmm. know, because you learn. Listen, I don't just we don't just make something and hope it works. Mm-hmm. We make it, and and the really the. The proving grounds for all of our products are are out on the farm, mm-hmm. and and we use the products that we that we develop to make sure that you know I I want to like you know you said you want to like 
who who you are affiliated with, yep. I've got to like it to sell it too, you know. And and if I don't like it, let's let's fix it, let's fix it, and let's change it, and let's make it better. Mm-hmm. So um, it's really more of an in, incremental uh, aha moment for mm-hmm. us. Um, I will tell you, probably my biggest uh, the two biggest aha moments for for me on the kennel side was number one. Um, getting that molded in handle in the, in the top, mm-hmm. uh, that single molded in handle and also creating a door, the stainless steel door, what we call our FRM door or frame door mm-hmm. and making it slammable. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what that means is, you know, you know, go back to the pin system. It's, it, it's almost, uh, it's very frustrating to try to get, these spring loaded pin doors to close and to lock. Right. Right. With, with, with our frame door, you put your dog in the kennel and you just slam the door and it's, it's, it's you're done. Right. It's a one handed operation. You don't have to, you don't have to touch the latch. You just slam it. You just push it. It's close. like a regular door. Yep. Yep. So, yep. so those are kind of the, but you know, frankly, our biggest, our, our, our biggest and greatest ideas generally come from, from folks like you and your listeners. I mean, that's because people, Hey, dog people aren't shy, man. (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) I found that out about this podcast. I've gotten a couple of emails like, Hey, (laughs) you might want to look at that episode. Yeah. Yeah. They're not shy, man. Mm -mm. Which is cool. They're, they're very independent people Mm -hmm. and they will tell you what they think good, bad, or indifferent. So, yep. You know, we get a ton of really good ideas, you know, from, from just listening. Right, right. So. Well, that's, I mean, like I said, it's it's a true testament to the value of what you guys are um, providing. So, my, my last question, because I can sit here and talk to you <laughs> all yeah. day. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for <laughs> um, sure. Well, my, I'm sorry, my second to last question, because I also want to talk about your experience at Pheasant Fest real um, you know, at the end, but how did you, how did Dakota 283 become the national sponsor for NAVDA? How did that uh, work out? So, so we did, we did Pheasant Fest for the first time about four or five years ago. Uh-huh. And um, there's a guy, Terry Wilson, who is, I think, on the board of NAVDA or used to be on the board of NAVDA. Uh, but he also is a seller of products. He has a company called, um, Ugly dog hunting. Uh huh. I've seen yeah, it. Really, if you've seen that, it's it's a really great uh, catalog and great great product company. Nice. And and we had a conversation. He goes, you know, I was very young in the business, and and he said, Greg, he goes, you really should consider supporting Navda because it's your co- your core audience, you know. Uh huh. And so I'm like, okay, whatever. Because you, you get everybody trying to. Everybody comes up to you and tells you where to sponsor things and this and that. And so finally, about three years ago, we said, yeah, well, we'll, let's try it. Let's put our toe in the water. And I have met the nicest people through our affiliation with NAVDA. Mm -hmm. Um, They are just a, a, and you've done some trials with NAVDA, I I, I think. I'm going to, not yet, but going to. Okay. Yeah. They have a tremendous, tremendous group of people running that that organization. Right. And um, I, I might get this wrong, but I think they've got fifteen thousand members. But I, I I'm not sure of the exact number. Um, wow. But every mm-hmm. one of these members are 
dog owners, dog lovers, hunters, mm-hmm. and they want they want high end high end products. Right. And uh, so that's really how we got involved with it is is you know the suggestion from Terry, and then and then going ahead and acting on that. And um, you know we've been able to develop some really nice dealer relationships through through. NABDA members. So we've got a lot of, a lot of our dealers are also NABDA members. So, Mm -hmm. um, they just have a, you'll, you'll really enjoy their, their organization when you start running your, your pup through them. Are you going to do an NA? Yes, I definitely want to do an NA. Yes. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, I, I just feel like if I'm going to, in a lot of ways, I feel like I owe it to his bloodline and his background for me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard nothing but good things about NAVDA. Um, it doesn't seem like like Project Upland and Northwoods Collective did. Um, I'm sure you might have seen it. The the little NAVDA uh, NA test video. Um, did you see that? Yeah, it was good. And I really liked the way they did that, um, the way they filmed it. It was very explanatory, um, very informative. And I just was like, yeah, this is where I want to go with my dog. <laughs> it, it was, it, that was a great video. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the folks that run Project uh, Upland are, they're really into dog hunting and, mm-hmm. you know, hunting with dogs. And, um, you know, they actually, one of our kennels in that video which is kind of cool oh yeah <laughs> like oh yeah i saw yeah. look i saw that now <laughs> yeah okay good yeah it was like a three second blur but it was still cool to see man yeah. <laughs> yeah. well you know my i'm i'm a i'm a big uh I mean, I write for Project Upland, obviously, but those are my buddies, AJ and Chet and, and Nick and all of them. Yeah. They're, they're good folks. So I, um, yeah. you know, I appreciate well, it, but... Hmm? Well, we're, we're affiliated with them now as well. Yeah, I, I, yep, 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 yeah. yep. Look, I, I, I know how to hang out with, with good folks now. So <laughs> between you guys yeah. and Project Upland, I think I'm in good company. <laughs> No, they're good. They're really good people, and you know, and we just started with with those guys, um, you know, this this year actually. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's been, uh, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. But I, th- they're just good people, and yeah. they've got a nice nice following too. So yeah. that's that's great. I think so. Well, I am. I'm definitely going to put this little guy in uh, in in a. I want to let him grow up and, and get a little bit more focused, but uh, I'm definitely going to run him there and, and just give it a shot. I um, I was a little, when I first got my dogs, I was a little gun shy about um, some of these organizations um, because I was a, a scared that it would become kind of a boys club in a lot of ways, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yep. but my buddy Richard, he's a, um, a NABDA member in the, uh, I can't remember what chapter it is down here, but he's, he's definitely a NABDA member down here and he's encouraged me to do it. Um, and he says, I mean, that's the top, you know, top of the line as far as the, the testing and hunting systems mm-hmm. and really being able to gauge your dog. Um, I, and, and when you talk about versatile breeds, I think the the way that they evaluate that is very fair. I think it's very fair the way that they, that NABDA has gone about, 
you know, trying to evaluate a dog for certain characteristics. Um, and, and of course, right. there's so much more about it that I have to learn. But right. everything that I've read thus far and everything that I've seen and the people that I've met that are involved with NABDA, phenomenal. You know, I, I yeah. can definitely speak highly about them. Yeah. I would, if you have a versatile dog and you want to trial your dog, um, I, I, I think it's probably the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I don't know that much about some of the other field trial guys out there. And I, I'm learning, too, man. We're, right. we're all learning, right? Right. I mean, it's... It's uh, it's what you do. It's what makes it fun. Right. So. Right. And so, and yeah, you said definitely. something very important too. You're a hunter first, and so am I. You know, I mm-hmm. I and that was another thing that attracted me about now that they are hunters. You know, you've got a lot of trial guys that just they won't they don't hunt. They they just don't. You know, they've got a dog right. that has the ability, but they won't go out and see a wild bird anytime during that season. Absolutely. And, absolutely. you know, it's to me, it's very important to have um, I'm, I'm like 70, 30, where I'm 70 hunt, you know, 70 percent focused on hunting, about 30 percent, you know, focused on testing and evaluating everything. Um, right. You know, I have an LHU dog with a very strong background and lineage. Like I said, I just I, I really hope I'm doing this dog justice by getting him in an N.A. test. You know, and and just seeing what he's got to offer. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it also tells you what you need to work on. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's the main thing, right? It mm-hmm. tells you what you need to work on with your dog. So I think it's it's great. And if if I get a a, a versatile dog, which mm-hmm. you know, like I said, I'm a year and a half away from getting another dog. Mm-hmm. I will definitely do some nab nab to things with it. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, we look. We are. We are definitely in the same boat, my friend. Yep. <laughs> we definitely Absolutely. are. Um, so, pheasant fest. Now, first and foremost, I, I I'm not sure if you got the name of the the um, listener that stopped by the booth, but if they're listening, I definitely wanted to say thank you for you know going and shaking hands with Greg. <laughs> that, was, that was cool, man. That was really because we haven't been together that long, and for somebody to come in. And, you know, say, hey, I heard you on Darrell's uh, podcast. And, mm-hmm. you know, I thought that was really a cool, you know, just a confirmation that, you know, that what we're doing is and what you're doing yeah. is, is working with right. people. Well, and, I appreciate uh, it. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, it was, the, Fe- the Pheasant Fest was very busy. Um, I, I was there with Jane and it was just the two of us. Mm-hmm. And we literally for three days could barely leave our booth. Because there was so many, there was always somebody there to talk to. Good. It was a nine-hour day every day, and that first beer really tasted good. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I understand. Good. I understand. (laughs) And uh, but but if anybody gets a chance and you like, you know, the the pheasant hunting or hunting in general, Mm -hmm. um, that is a pure hunting show. Okay. Mm -hmm. Whereas the shot show is more of just equipment and and whatnot so right. you know at the pheasant fest you've got breeders and you've got trainers and you've got a lot of the um uh, equipment people there as well and what's nice about the pheasant fest is the all the different things that they do they have a lot of seminars yep. you know on yep. how, to, how to train your dog 
and what you should do, what what you should feed your dog. I mean, mm-hmm. it goes through the whole the whole thing, mm-hmm. and uh, it's cool. It is really a cool cool place to go. Next year, it's in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So, right. If anybody gets a chance, go go on up to Pheasant Fest. It's really a nice nice place to be. Well, next year, Greg, I will definitely be in attendance. Okay, <laughs> I will be it. there. Um, you know, if, if, if it's anything, if I can help with the Dakota 283 booth or, you know, let me know. We plan, you know, far far enough out because I wanted to go this year. And my wife asked, she was like, before we um, realized that her grandfather's birthday fell on the day of Pheasant Fest. Um, right. And, and it was a significant birthday. He turned 91. Like, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So we were kind of, we kind of had to be at this one um, at least. But next year, I definitely want to get up there, um, you know, and, and help you guys out if I can. Just, just something. I would love to have you there, buddy. Mm hmm. We, 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 it'd be great exposure for you mm-hmm. and it'd be great help for us. Yeah, we'll put you to work, man. Don't you worry. We'll put you to work. <laughs> hey, look, I, I got two hands and two feet ready to do some, so let me know. <laughs> no, that's 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 awesome. Yeah, you, you you're gonna really enjoy it. That's, okay. Uh, that's a great that's a great show to go to. Okay. Cool. 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 Well, Greg, I mean, how much more product stuff and and hunting can we talk about? Because Lord, <laughs> I well, can. I know. You know. I will tell you, man. I. One of my bucket list items, you know, and I'm not in my 20s anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting up into the fourth quarter here, so, you know, I don't know how long the legs are going to hold out. Or whatever, <laughs> so I want to, I want, I want to get, I want to get around. You talk about, uh, you talk about quail, uh-huh. um, and where you guys are. I have not shot a wild quail. Oh, I'll, um, I'll take I you to get, this I spot. Get, I, I want to get that done. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of species of upland game birds that that I definitely have on my bucket list, mm-hmm. and uh, so you know I'm I'm always very excited to uh, to get out and try new things. Mm-hmm. I I haven't even shot a a rough grouse yet, you know. And you know I want to that. as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well. Yeah. I can I can definitely get you on the quail down here. You come to Georgia, I got plenty. I can take you to I'll take you to historic Georgia, Thomasville, and we'll get you on some birds. Awesome. We'll take you to the oh, Red Hills, man. man. I, I feel like I owe it to you. <laughs> oh, you don't owe me anything, man. I, I it's it, it would be my pleasure and honor to, to get out there. It'd be it'd be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you know, it I wanna make sure um, I'm sure most people know how to get a hold of you, but just to make sure we cross our T's and dot our I's, how do folks get a hold of Dakota Two Eighty Three? Instagram, websites, email. Give me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, so the be- you know the best way is our website. It's it's Dakota Two Eighty Three dot com, mm-hmm. and um, that will give you all your contact information on how you can reach us. You can order products there, mm-hmm. um, or you can just call us and we can talk to you. And you know, I'm always available. Email okay. uh, Greg at Greg at Dakota Two Eighty Three dot com. So yep, I actually answer my emails. Yeah, you and you're ve- um, one thing I will say, you are very timely with emails. <laughs> well, I try. You know, it's it's kind of hard when you're getting a lot of emails every day. But mm-hmm. you know, if if I don't answer you right away, rest assured I will answer you at some point within the first 
24 to 48 hours, I mm -hmm. try and do that, you know? Right. Uh, but that's, that's the best way is just go to our website and, um, and, and check us out. And, uh, you know, we could definitely help you buy product or, you know, if we don't have something that you're looking for, then, you know, we'll recommend what product to get too, okay. you know, cause we don't have everything. Right. right. So, well, look, it, based on all the products we talked about in here, I, I'm, I highly doubt that anybody would go to that website and, and can't find anything that they need. So I, I think that you've covered a lot of ground. You covered a lot Thank of ground you, and, um, yeah, and done right. well we're, doing it. We're thrilled. We're thrilled to be part of your team, man. Mm -hmm. And keep, As, keep doing the good work because, you know, there's, I, I really think that this podcast thing is a great way to immerse yourself into your things that you love doing, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's a very easy way to, to find out more information about things. So mm -hmm. I appreciate what you're doing too. So, well, we appreciate you supporting and sponsoring the podcast as well, Greg. We, we definitely no appreciate it. <laughs> no, you got it, man. You got it. So, all right. Well guys, that is another episode of the gun dog notebook. And as I said in the beginning, this is a special episode with a special person, Greg Cronkite. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. <laughs> so <Thank you. laughs> until next time, no problem. You know, until next time, stay tuned. And we are checking out. All right, guys. Was that not enough to make you want to go get one of those Dakota 283 Kimmel? I hope it was. I'm pretty sure it was. Um, guys, seriously... Reach out to Greg Cronkite. He's a very, 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 very kind guy. Uh, a gentleman of the highest caliber. I mean, man, I can't talk, you know, enough about him. He's been very, very good to the podcast. And, you know, really, really, really thinks deeply into the products that he makes. Um, I hope that podcast was just as fun as it was informative. And, uh, you know, check out Dakota 283 Kennels. They are the national sponsor for NAVDA and definitely sponsoring uh, Project Upland. So, you know, clearly we're all affiliated with good folks. Good folks like good folks. So check that out. If you buy a G3 Kennel, guys, Please make sure you put in my promo code. Get yourself 50% off of the Dine and Dash product. It's starting to get hot. If you're, especially if you're down here in Georgia, okay, or or any anywhere in the South for that matter, TGDN five zero DD will get you 50% off of any of the Dine and Dash products. Okay, you want it. Your dogs are going to need as much water as they can get. Anywho, guys, thank you, Lion Country Supply. Thank you, uh, The Pride Dog Food, for sponsoring the podcast as well and giving us y'all support. We cannot do this without y'all. Um, and, and we would not be able to have some of, you know, the outreach that we would without these guys. My Patreon sponsors, thank y'all so much. Like I said, I'm giving a uh, Project Upland magazine away to one of my uh, Patreon sponsors as well. And there are other incentives that go along with that, but you got to be a Patreon sponsor to figure that out. 
Anywho, 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 anywho. Thank you all so much. Stay tuned with the journey. And this is the Gundog Notebook Podcast. And this is your host, Darrell Smith. I hope I flooded y'all with episodes. And I hope I keep flooding y'all with episodes. And I hope y'all are enjoying them. All right, stay tuned next week for another episode.